Well, good evening, church. Will you turn to Acts chapter 1? Acts chapter 1, there's a Bible in the seat back in front of you. Unless you want to swipe there on your phone, we're going to be there in just a moment. Well, we had a big weekend at the neighborhood church. We were able to host, uh, co-host one of my favorite preachers of all time, and his name is Brian Zond. Incidentally, he's also one of my favorite authors, and it was such a treat to have prayer school with Brian Zond. Shout out to Clear Path Dallas, a church in Mesquite that was able to uh, host us for Friday night and the better part of today. And what Brian Zond provided us with was a track, think like a train track, to get us unstuck when we can't pray. It's a track that gives us prayers and helps us grow up in our prayer lives, and it was really a phenomenal experience. It was about a third our church, a third their church, and a third people who drove from Louisiana and about an hour north in North Texas to come and experience this that he won't ever write about, he won't ever talk about, so it was a real treat for us to be able to spend some time with my man Brian Zahn. So, I hope you're in Acts chapter 1. We're in between sermon series, and so what you're going to get tonight is a snapshot of where I believe our church is called to be in this season. Next week is going to be a snapshot from the data that our friend Jim Pace from the Ecclesia Network that we're a part of came and put together in April after he interviewed 42 of you lovely people. I love you guys. I meet with you guys. But 42 in one week is a lot to handle. And he loved it. And he loved you guys. And he put together a document that's 70 pages long of all your wonderful answers to all those wonderful questions with some anonymous quotes, not so that he could report back to the principal's office and tell the pastors what y'all are really thinking and doing. No, it's a report that says this is a snapshot of the culture of the neighborhood church. So tonight is a reflective snapshot. Perhaps this is where I sense we're called to be in this season. And then next week is here's why, okay? And so with that, tonight we're going to talk about waiting well. So this is a spoiler alert. I believe we're in a season, a brief season of waiting. It was three Augusts ago that the neighborhood church moved here to Freeman Heights to share this space. But we weren't yet the neighborhood church. We're coming up on two years of being the neighborhood church. And I feel like there is some incredible things God has for us just around the corner. But we have a sense that in order to receive what God has then, we have to pray and wait and prepare now. And we get a lesson in the book of Acts, the very first church on waiting And so I invite you to follow along with me on the screen or in your Bibles, beginning in verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, he's talking about the Gospel of Luke, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Then he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. 
Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gave, oh, excuse me, then they gathered around him and asked him, Okay, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? But he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Verse 10. They were looking intently like a bunch of goobers. Oh, sorry. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking like goobers into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem. They did what Jesus told them. From the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk, it's about three quarters of a mile from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. If you're counting, that's 11, because we're going to see in the next chapter what happened to the other Judas. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. And with his brothers. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say thanks be to God. Would you join me in a quick word of prayer? Lord we are so grateful for this evening that you've given to us. We're so grateful for these people that you've given to us. We are so grateful for the words that we just sang. But I'm not sure we really know what we just sang. Because we invite you Holy Spirit to lead us where our trust is without borders and to walk upon the waters wherever you've called us, to take us deeper than our feet would ever wander, that our faith might be made stronger in the presence of our Savior. We don't know what we're asking for. What we're asking for is to step out into the shaky and uncertain waves before us. And the only way that we can traverse the waves is if we keep our eyes on you, Jesus. Because as soon as we start to take our eyes off of you, we're sinking and we're done. But for your arm that reaches out to grab us and pull us back up so we can tread the waves with you again. So I pray, Lord, that as we look to your word, as we spend these next few moments discerning what you might have for us, We would hear your call to step out and to keep our eyes on you as we wait for the good things that you have in store. We pray all this in the strong name of Jesus, the wave walker. Amen. Well, this is not a sermon about the ascension, which is what we just read about. The ascension is when Jesus slipped from our space, the earth space, 
and into God's space, right? Sometimes we think about the ascension as Jesus being the first astronaut to zip up to heaven, past Mars and took a left at Jupiter, and he wound up sitting at the right hand of the Father. No, really what it meant is that Jesus was here, and he slipped into the unseen reality of the kingdom of God that is still present and still coming and is closer than we knew. But this ain't a sermon about the ascension. This is also not a sermon about what comes next. Because right before Jesus snuck away, he said, you're gonna receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you're gonna be my witnesses here, there, and everywhere. And spoiler alert, Chapter 2, about 10 days after Jesus said that, his promise is going to be fulfilled. We're going to talk a little bit about the in-between. Not about the ascension, even though that's pretty awesome. Not about Pentecost, which is the fulfillment of that promise. We're going to talk about that excruciating 10 days in-between. And here's why. Because we don't wait well. And I'm not trying to insult you. I'm just trying to get you to admit that you hate waiting at the doctor's office and at the barber shop and in line at Chipotle. That's why you get the mobile app. That's why you register online. And that's why you call your doctor to get an appointment and you bring your book with you. You hate to wait. How do we wait well? And I'm not just talking about Chipotle in the doctor's office. How do we wait when we're waiting for those bigger things like an answer or a next step, a decision to be made, for someone to finally say, hey, would you come and do this? Or waiting for someone to say, hey, here's that job, here's that promotion. Or maybe you're in a season where you say, God, I feel like I'm stuck. And when we sing things like we just sang and pray things like we just prayed, I'm not even interested in going to the beach, much less the ocean. Thank you very much. I'm stuck way back here. And you're waiting for some breakthrough. I believe our church is in a season where we are waiting for some breakthrough. But like the apostles who heard Jesus say, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you're going to be my witnesses here, there, and everywhere, here's what we got to understand. They didn't read ahead in Acts chapter 2. They didn't know if the Holy Spirit was going to walk through these doors in a clown costume and say, I'm here, who's ready to party? They didn't know what it would look like. They didn't know when it would happen. All they knew is that it will happen. Why? Because Jesus told them it would. And the reason why we have to learn to wait well is we have to live sometimes with a promise and then more questions than we have answers. We have to live with the promise that it will happen even though we don't know when or we say, how's it going to look? Or we say, will I miss it? Am I asking the right way? We need to learn to wait well. 
You need to learn to wait well in the big decisions and the big steps that are coming around the corner. And we as a community need to learn to wait well for whatever God has next. That we may not know what it will look like or when it will happen. But we're going to trust, if you allow me, we're going to trust that it will happen because we're going to be doing two things. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. The first is a state of mind. And the second is what we got to do. So what we're going to see is this. From Acts 1, we see a group of people that waited with expectancy and unity. The first thing, the state of mind, is a state of expectancy, even without clarity, because of what I just said. They had no idea what it was going to look like. They had some inkling, because the prophet said, in these last days... The Spirit of God's going to come, and old men are going to dream dreams, and young people are going to prophesy. So say, okay, I think, I think. They never expected what it would look like. They had some expectancy, though, that it will happen because Jesus said it. The first is a state of mind. Expectancy without clarity. We're going to talk about that first. The second thing is what do you do out of that state of mind, and that's unity in prayer. Unity in prayer. Two things, and I wish I could tell you more. You'll probably get a little bit more nuggets as we go along. That's where we're going to spend the remainder of our time. We're going to close with an invitation. And the invitation is to tie these two things together, the state of mind of expectancy without clarity and unity in prayer. That's the invitation. So I want to spend the next few moments talking about how to wait well. Now, I love, love, love that after Jesus died on the cross, he rose again, he still came back to have a meal with his friends. Did you see that where we just read? How long did Jesus spend with them after the resurrection? Somebody said it. 40 days. Is 40 days significant in the Bible? I think it is. And you know what's interesting? Where were they gathering? Where did they walk from to go back to Jerusalem? Was it a valley? Or was it a mountain? It was a mountain, right? It was the Mount of Olives. There is this sense that even the time period and where they were waiting mattered. Because when you think back, way back to the Old Testament in the Exodus, after God rescued Israel from Egypt, let my people go. Y'all remember? They go through the waters, and do you think that they are jacked up excited? Yes, the answer is. I've seen Prince of Egypt. It looks awesome when they walk through a dadgum sea. And they go, yes, awesome, yeah, booyah, no more bricks for me, wait. Where's our food? Where is God? What are we doing? Moses, do you really know what you're up to? And now we're at a mountain and there's a cloud appearing and Moses is going to go talk to that and that's our God and what? And for 40 days, Moses is on a mountain and he's trying to tell his people, guess what? God has done an amazing thing and he's rescued us. And guess what? It's only just the beginning. And for 40 days... They met on a mountain in the book of Exodus, and God said, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. Let's figure out how it's going to look. Jesus showed us the greater and truer Exodus. 
Jesus didn't just part a sea. He obliterated the chasm that stood between us and God. When he hung on a cross, enthroned as the king, and spread his arms, he was inviting the world to bridge the gap between God and humanity, man and others, and says, this is how much I love you. You can live in that love if you come to me and live in me. The enemy was not just an empire with some pyramids. The greater enemy was sin and death and evil and the chains that had marred and marked and afflicted all of humanity for all time. Jesus broke it open and it was way bigger than any ocean trick. And then he went to a mountain and he gathered up his people and he said, it was just the beginning. And for 40 days, what did he talk about? Did he talk about seven ways to improve your outlook and happiness in life? And here's a devotional. No. What did he talk about? Man, I know a lot of y'all are traveling and coming back from vacation. And maybe I can't see you, but can I hear you? What did he talk about? The kingdom of God. And yet how many sermons in our churches today are talking about what Jesus talked about? If you gave Jesus 40 days and said, what's your point If you came and did a prayer school with us, he says, I'm going to talk about the kingdom of God. This should signify something. Jesus wanted to show us how to live on the other side of victory within the kingdom of God. And then he says this, I'm not just going to tell you about the kingdom of God. I'm going to enable you and authorize you and empower you to go and be witness to the fact that there is a new king and there's a new kingdom. And you're going to go and get it and tell people. So what did he say? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you're going to be my witnesses here, there, and everywhere. But what I love about it is after he was talking about the kingdom of God, they said, okay, so now are we there yet? Now at this time, are you going to finally restore the kingdom of God to Israel? Did you all see that question that we just read earlier? It's a kind of question that is the Israel version of, are we there yet? We're doing the wrong thing of going on vacation right before school. We let all y'all do vacation first, and we're going to make an eight-hour drive to Padre. God bless us. Pray for us. And I promise you I'm going to hear this question. Are we there yet? And here's the thing. I'm going to be a lot less patient than Jesus was because Jesus doesn't shut them down because I need you to understand this it's not an unreasonable question okay because their version of are we there yet is they've waited a long time since Egypt and the exodus and Jesus finally does the greater exodus and they say yes 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 we got to be close I can see the palm trees baby Their version of this question is, is Israel finally going to be at the top of the heap and every other nation falls in line behind them? It's not an unreasonable question because Israel's been waiting for them to finally be on top because they've been on the bottom for so long. The problem with the question is that it's an unreasonable expectation, okay? 
And this is something that I think we need to understand when we wait. It's not wrong to have questions. It is wrong to have some unreasonable expectations. Because we live with a phone in our pocket that can order us food and connect with somebody the world over and share our thoughts with all our friends and family instantaneously, we think that God should operate like an iPhone. And the problem is, when we live with questions, that's fine. Jesus can handle your questions. The problem is when your expectations become your Lord of your timing and your agenda and your ways and your time frame and Jesus disappears in the mix because you care more about what he can do than walking with him and letting him set the agenda. The reason their question was an unreasonable expectation is because Jesus says, hey, 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 it's not y'all's job to pull out the Bible charts and maps and get on YouTube and talk about the Antichrist and the end of the age. The end of the age is inaugurated. I'm the king. Everything else is going down by the wayside. Get on board with me. So put your Bible charts away. That's silly. That's foolish. The same way the angels say that Jesus left, he's going to come back. Just like this. And when he comes back, that heaven space that he slipped back into is going to be the only space on earth. And so I don't care if you're reading the stars. Just be about going out and telling people there's a new king and his way is the way that matters. Don't worry about the times. Worry about being present to the one who will come again. And so what's going on here is Jesus is saying, you've got to wait, okay? Don't worry about the time and your agendas. You've got to wait, and I promise you it will happen. But you've got to leave the when to God. This is how we wait well. And it's an expectancy that God will act and will do something. We've got to surrender the when, and I think sometimes we've even got to surrender the how. And let me tell you, when Jesus gave them their mission and said, you're going to be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, if they had their choice of how it was going to happen, I guarantee you they would probably just go around the corner. They'd go to those people that looked like them. They wouldn't go to those Gentiles that eat pork chops, right, like Cornelius, that we talked about today. They wouldn't go to an Ethiopian eunuch that we talked about two months ago. They wouldn't go to a sorcerer and pagans and military violent people. They wouldn't go there. But Jesus says, the how is not up to you. You're going to receive power and you're going to go to right here where you are, Jerusalem, where they killed me. And then you're going to go to Judah, Judea, right? What you need to know about Judea is that's choice territory for God's people. That's the Mecca of Judaism. Judah is the holy place. Okay, I'll go there. Cool. They got nice burritos there. That's awesome. But then he says, you're not just going to go to Judea. You're going to go to Samaria. 
Samaria, if you follow along in the Gospels, is where the half-breeds are. They're those people. They're the people that think you got to worship here and worship him and not listen to this and not do that. And they're the people that voted for him. And they're the one that thinks that you ought to do that. And they're the ones that raise their kids this way. And they're the ones that think that, that Coldplay is awesome. But Jesus sent us to the people that love Coldplay too. I'm joking. We were talking about Coldplay yesterday and I thought I'd see if you were awake. What you need to understand is that they would have never gone to Samaria. But he says, I don't want you to just go to the people who are like you and who are holy. I want you to go to the people that are unlike you and that are profane in your eyes. Because you need to bear witness to them too. Because sometimes when we're waiting, we also got to surrender the how. And how on earth would that even be possible? I love what Will Williman says. He was a bishop in the Methodist church in Alabama, and he said this. Our waiting implies that the things which need doing in the world are beyond our ability. This is on the screen. I'll let you find it. Our waiting implies that the things which need doing in the world are beyond our ability to accomplish solely by our own effort. Our programs and our crusades. Some other empowerment is needed, therefore, and so the church waits and prays. But here's the problem. We don't like to wait. We want to go save the world, and we want to go where we want to go, not where God wants us to go. And we want to go do our agenda, not God's agenda. So what he says is that you need to get yourself into a place where you can do what you can, but you've got to wait for God to do what you can't. Our waiting implies that the things which need doing in this world are beyond our ability to accomplish it solely by our own effort. Because if we could walk on water without Jesus, you better believe I'd be surfing. But we need to keep our eyes on Jesus instead of rushing ahead in our own decisions. I think it's the difference between being reactive instead of reflective. I think about when Amy and I got back from our honeymoon and we were unpacking some of our wedding gifts in our first apartment together and we were opening up a little bookshelf. It's one of those Target like room essentials. It's like 20 bucks and it's long gone in some garage sale. And here's why. Because we started assembling it at when? 11.30 at night? Okay? Because man, we're in love and this is our apartment and oh great, awesome, awesome. Fast forward five minutes. Where is that screw? And we're freaking out, and I'm looking at all of these pieces, and I'm saying, are you serious? Are you serious? Are you serious right now? She goes, what? I said, there ain't no holes pre-drilled into this thing. Are you serious right now? Maybe that's why it's $20. Shoot. I go over. Now it's 11.45, and I open up my brand new drill that I got for my wedding, and I find the bits, and I do this, and I said, are you for real? Are you serious right now? Are we doing this? And now you fast forward to 12.15. I've had to measure and drill and, hold, and do all this stuff, and I ain't no Robert Vaughn. I don't know what I'm doing. He can bear witness to this in Judea and Samaria and through the ends of the earth, and we're looking at all this stuff, and now it's 12.45, and we've barely got like a shelf and then it's 1.15, and I'm like sweating, and I got my shirt off for some reason because I was drilling and stuff. 
And I realize only after, at 1.15 in the morning, that when I pick it up and I look at the back, you know what I see? Three perfectly spaced and drilled holes here and here and here and here and here. And you know what I saw in the front? Three busted holes here and here and here and there and there. And it was sideways and it was busted and I kicked it in the corner. And I realized at that moment what I'm still learning in my life. That sometimes when we hurry, we're delaying actually what needs doing. Our friend Alan Fadling, who wrote An Unhurried Life, says it better. He says, the one who hurries delays the things of God. When you are making a decision and you refuse to wait, what happens is you become reactive and you begin plugging and drilling and screaming and hollering and fussing and fighting and you wind up with something that may approximate a good thing, but you could have missed the best thing if you had waited for God's wisdom and the people around you telling you, check for the holes. And so just a side note, When Amy and I talk about the big decisions in our lives, we are people who need to wait. Right now, we have like three what we call six-month conversations we're juggling. Someone recently asked us, how do you make some of the big decisions? Because they realized we kind of take it slow on some of those things. And we say we have a six-month conversation And what we mean by that is we sit with Jesus about it and we kind of mull it over in prayer. And then we get into our car and we're driving our kids to school. And then we drop them off and we say, yeah, you know, I was thinking about this. And we talk about it. And then we go through our day. We come back home. We're eating dinner. We put them to bed and we say, you know, I was thinking about this too. And then two days later, we're on our way out in the car again. And we say, you know, have we ever thought about this? And then Amy goes and she has coffee with one of you guys. And she says, hey, we're kind of thinking about this. What do you think about that? And we have this sense of where we're waiting and we're preparing and we're expecting that God will reveal to us the when but in the interim we're trying to discipline ourselves to wait because we don't want to go plugging and drilling holes that are going to damage something that could have been God's best and instead we settle for something that's just, I mean it works and he's still there because what happens is sometimes we've got to wait And while we're waiting, it's not just talking to others, it's talking to God about what we're trying to do together. And so what I love is that it doesn't mean you do nothing when you're expecting without the next step. What it means is that sometimes in the period of waiting, you have just enough for one step, but not enough to where you can take all the steps. And so you need to be reflective on, God, where are you today? Because when Jesus said to his disciples, follow me, I don't think they knew that they were going to wind up in front of a cross in Jerusalem. When Jesus said, follow me, they saw life and light and goodness, and they knew just enough to say, I think we gotta go with him. I think we gotta go there. What does it look like in your life right now? What are you waiting for? What is it that you're waiting for? Some of those things are out of your control, and you just gotta wait, and that's for the second part. You gotta pray with your people. But if you're waiting for things that are within your control, please be reflective and not reactive. 
please wait well and say, God, I'm going to trust that you will, and I'm going to surrender my agenda for the how and the when. And I'm going to go one step because it seems like when your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path, it's not a spotlight, it's a candle flame. And I need just enough for now because what happens is when we take that step, we find ourselves on shaky ground. And you know what happens when you're on shaky ground? You really pay attention to the next step. And you really pay attention to the next step. And to mix metaphors, if you're on your way following Jesus into some place you've never been, you pay a lot more attention when you're driving or walking in New York City than you are in Garland, Texas. Or wherever you go, and you don't need to look at a map when you're driving home tonight. But when you're going to visit your friend in a new city, you're going to stick with him. And this is why I believe when we wait, we've got to trust that Jesus is going to walk with us, but he ain't going to give us everything at once. And all he told these disciples were, go back to Jerusalem and wait. And so you know what they did? They obeyed, and then they prayed. Look back at verse 14, the last verse we read. Before Pentecost, they're going to do what they can and get a 12th homeboy to be a witness here, there, and everywhere. But what they did was, it says, they gathered together, they went to the upper room, here's who was there, and then it says this, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. We're going to see that in the next chapter, there's 120 people gathered up in this room. That's a big room, y'all. And you know what? When we look at this verse on the screen, and it says they all joined together, it misses something of what the text says. Maybe your Bible, if you have the one that's in front of you, it says they were all of one mind. They were all of one accord. You know what that phrase entails? They were dug in and dead set to wait. They were dug in and dead set that says, this is my life now. Until God moves, here I am. And they dug in, they joined together, they locked arms, and they what? They prayed. And we don't know what they prayed. But I bet, I would bet a lot that they were seeking God's face. And they were asking for the kingdom to come. And they were surrendering their ideas of what that power would look like. By the way, the power that Jesus said is where we get our word dynamite. So I bet they were afraid. They were afraid to go to Samaria and the ends of the earth. And they were afraid of the grenade and dynamite stick that Jesus was going to drop in their lap at any point. But they prayed and prayed because when you take a step out, it causes you to look around and go beyond yourself to wait for God to do what only he can do. It gets us in a posture where we can walk with open hands and open eyes and be ready to receive what God has for us. When we were in Tijuana three weeks ago, is it three weeks ago now? Their missions pastor, Betsa, who's an amazing woman, leading teams all throughout the city of this incredible church, She was leading teams all throughout the city. And one of the places that Toby spoke so well about last week was called the Zona Roja, the red zone. And that's the place where hundreds of prostitutes were every 10 feet 
between the doors. And of course, you heard Toby say that you get about 20 seconds, you can't touch them, there's all these rules, there's all this code that we've got to follow because we want to keep a low profile and be a light in a dark place, but we want to be wise about it. So there's some waiting that, involved, that was involved there too. But Betza was telling us that her work in Zona Roja predated her work with Ankla. And she would go week after week after week, 20 seconds at a time, meeting with these women, coming alongside them, saying, hi, what's your name? Can I pray for you? Eyes open, praying, gone. Next person. She did this week after week after week in 20 seconds at a time. And one day, she pointed to a corner. She said, one day, I sat at that corner, and I stood there, and tears began streaming down my eyes. She said, because I hate this place. She said, I hate this place. She says, I still hate this place. And so the question in like 15 of our minds as we're hearing this is like, then why are you going? And she said, I stood on that corner with tears streaming down my face, and I said, God, I hate this place. If you don't want me to be here, release me. I've got other things that I could do. And she says, but please, God, if you want me here, would you, I don't know, show me, tell me? And she opens her eyes on this street corner in Tijuana, and she sees a girl there. And she was one of the workers on the street. And she said, hi, can you pray for me? And she said, uh, Yes, yes. And she prayed for this prostitute. And then she opened her eyes, and there was two more. And then there was three more. And then there was a line of ten. And then there was a huddle around her of people praying in unity together for a light to come to the dark place, the place that Betsa hated but the place that Betsa goes week after week after week for five years. Why? Because the Holy Spirit empowered her. But because she also was showing up with open eyes to see brokenness, but open hands to receive what God had for her to put the pieces back together that she couldn't do on her own. And the prayer for our team as we went into these spaces of brokenness and the prayer for you as you go into these spaces and relationships of brokenness and you're waiting and you need God to move, let me tell you, it's a lot easier to receive a gift when you have your hands open, ready for God to drop whatever he has for you right then when you need it. And let me tell you, it's a lot easier to see God at work when your eyes are open to see the ways in which he is meeting you at each step. Because the problem is sometimes we don't wait well because we think that God has forgotten us. And that's just the problem of our eyes being closed to all the ways in which God is at work, myriad ways around us. But we are just so quickly moving past with our closed fist and our eyes tight that we miss it. And as a church, we're in a season where I'm inviting you now to pray together with me with open eyes to see where God is at work in our streets to see where God is at work in your groups, to see where God is at work in the rock, to see where God is at work in the people you're praying with in the clothes closet, to see where God is at work in your places of work and family and places hanging out 
you need to have open eyes to see, God, where are you at work? I'm waiting for you to move. You need to go with open hands to say, God, I don't like this place. I don't like being here. I feel like I need to be. So I'm opening up my hands for you to give me what I need. And if that's release, I'm ready. If that's lean in, I'm ready. But church, we're inviting you to expect that God has things in store for us even though we don't have the five-step plan to do it. We're going to talk about some next steps we can do next week with our church assessment, some things that we feel like are right now things that will help us get on track to where we are going around the corner. These disciples did that. The next part of the passage is saying, hey, while we're praying, let's get the next guy to come because we got to be ready for this power, this dynamite that's coming. Church, we've got some things that we're going to get ready for the dynamite to come. But let me tell you, I believe that no movement of God comes without people united in prayer. I believe that there will be no breakthrough if we are not praying. I believe that there will be no life without begging God for his life and his kingdom to come in these streets, in your families, in these pews, without prayer. I'm not going to hedge our bets on a sermon. I'm not going to hedge our bets on a program or an effort. I want to put all our eggs in the basket of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. Would you believe it with me with open eyes and open hands? Would we pray together in waiting and praying and here are some things we might be praying for. This is something your pastors and your leaders feel like God is inviting us to ask him for. And it's these. The first is for boldness. For boldness to declare and demonstrate the good news of Jesus. This is not a sales pitch like the sweet lady, Jehovah's Witness, that came to my door this week. And the only thing she asked of us and the only word we could say was Adam and Amy. She was in and out and did her thing and gone, right? Sometimes we can react against the boldness of declaring and demonstrating the good news. I would invite you to ponder as you wait for God's power to come. Two questions. Number one, it's what we talked about before. If we're not talking about Jesus to those close to us, why not? And before you feel ashamed, let me, let me say stop. Shame is not of the Holy Spirit. Um, conviction is, but let me ask you this second question. What if we believe that the answer to every need in this life is found in Jesus? What if we really believe that every need that this world has, that your friend has, that your coworker has, can be found in Jesus? Okay? What if we really believe that? Now go back to the first question. If we're not talking about Jesus to those close to us, why not? Because you've seen your friend that's waiting not well with anxiety and fear and bitterness and addiction and hangups, and you say, Jesus promises, peace, and power, and presence, and a family. Would you come? The second thing you can be praying for is for new Christians. In Dallas, we do a lot of shuffling the deck of people that say, I'm done with this church, I want to come to this church. That's fine, you're welcome, we love you, let's go. But we're on a mission. Would you join us to go out and find the lost that Jesus misses the most and bring them back home into the arms of the Father? And I think that we need to pray because it gets our eyes open to those people and ready to receive them. And the third thing that I'm inviting you with me to pray is for a heart of love for all people, no matter the race, no matter the background, no matter if they're sleeping outside or they're sleeping in a mansion, would you have a heart of love, not just for uh, uh, this person, but people 
people here, people that live here, people that we would see in Tijuana that we see here, people that we see at the Day Labor Center, people that we see at the Rock, people that we see uh, at our craft fair, people that we see walking the streets, people that you see, would you just see them? I think you can see them if you begin to pray for them. So the invitation is, how can you pray for these things? How can we unite together and pray for these things? How are you going to incorporate these in your prayers this week? Are you going to write them down because I said so? Or are you going to write them down and you're going to say, you know what? In this church, we've given you so many resources to teach you how to pray. You just missed one this past weekend, but that's okay. Because we've given you, I feel like, lots of new ways of trying out prayer. And I'm convinced that something is stuck for you. I'm not trying to rob you of that. I'm saying, could you add this to the sauce of what you've got going on in your week? And here's one way that I'm going to pray these prayers. Brian Zahn gave us this track. I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer that we just spent all summer talking about. I'm going to literally pray the Lord's Prayer as I'm driving through these streets. And then I'm going to pray for these three things. And then I'm going to say the greatest commandment. I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to pray for these three things. I'm going to say the greatest commandment, to love God with everything and then to love my neighbor as myself. That's how I'm going to do it. How are you going to do it? You're going to look at the Beatitudes. You're going to look at the prayer of St. Francis. You're You're going to find a thing of Scripture. You're going to put an alarm on your phone. You're going to put it in your shower. I don't know. But I'm telling you, don't put the eggs in how well I preach and how well Pastor Kathy preaches for your friends to come and like our church, let's leverage everything on the power that is ours in the Holy Spirit. In prayer and expectancy that he will do what we can't. That's the invitation, and I'm going to end with this. We're not trying to get God to do what we want. I want you to hear me. We're trying to wait and pray so that we're ready to join what he wants. And that's the difference between a rowboat and a sailboat. And this is the closing image I'll impart with you as the worship team comes in a moment we pray, we receive the gift of communion. What's the difference between a rowboat and a sailboat? One has a motor and one doesn't. The motor of the rowboat is you and those sweet biceps, Mark, sailboat, you got to do everything you can to get those sails up. And then you got to do what you can't, and that's wait for the wind to come. Church, I'm asking you to wait in your own life for the things you're waiting for, for the wind to come. For that sense of now it's time to go, and I'll move. Church, I'm asking you to wait for the wind to come in whatever's around the bend. We're going to be ready to move when it's time to move. And we might be doing things that are out of our comfort zone, but we're only going to do it if we believe we've waited, we've prayed, and the wind is here. So let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for this time together to kind of have a different feeling sermon for me. Trying to articulate something that is hard for me to articulate. I just have this sense that we're in this period where We have nothing to do but expect and pray and still do what we can, loving our neighbors, loving the students at the Rock, loving our friends and family in our neighborhood and praying, praying, praying. But Lord, would you just um, do what we can? 
And Lord, for those that feel empty and are, are so sick of talking about prayer, would you grow their desire to pray? Would you open their lips um, to speak words that maybe aren't even their own? Would you get them unstuck? For those waiting for healing and renewal and restoration, would you touch them? Would you restore them, renew them? It's hard to wait on that, Lord. We're asking you to move. Lord, we thank you for these moments together. We ask for wisdom as we wait. In the name of Jesus, amen.